Jeff, what a game. I feel like this rivalry needs a solid name. It's heated enough. There are accusation, wild accusations about running up the score tonight. People were very upset about plays that happened. All of the other games, like we talked about, have been close throughout pretty much the entire series. I feel like this rivalry needs a name. Like this has, so I feel like this has really solidified this as like a very solid rivalry because it has been pretty one sided by the Broncos um, since just since we'd never beaten them and Boise. And that felt good. Like it felt validating for everything we've been saying all season. And to just, this final felt like one of those games where normally you'd expect BYU to lay an egg or say like, oh, you know, it's like we can never have nice things, but it felt good just to show up and punch somebody in the mouth. And that was a punch. Now we're going to talk about this game. This game was on Fox Sports 1. And I, I know that this is going to frustrate you and I'm sorry. You, you had a great introduction and I'm going to already take us off track because of what shows or what is playing on Fox Sports 1 post game. They're re-airing today's episode of Undisputed with, with uh, Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless. And the question that I have for everybody why does Skip Bayless dress like he's a mob boss? The dude is wearing like a black mock tee underneath his black suit. He's got a little pocket square, and then he's got a full-on gold chain. And he's got like a big, I don't know what it is. Why is Skip Bayless gainfully employed to talk on TV? Well, yeah, I mean, there's that. Like, we could talk about how he's awful, but like, why is he dressed up like... Did you see, oh, what the heck was the, called The Family, Robert De Niro, and it's like a comedy drama. It came out, oh, it came out when we, right before my daughter was born, so like six or seven years ago, and it was a funny show, but like they were a mob family, and they dressed like Skip Bayless. I just don't understand how this old, I mean, he's an old white dude from I think he's from Texas, isn't he? Like he covered the Cowboys. That was where he got his career, like the start of his career. So he's just this white dude from Texas. Like, why is he dressing up like he's Al Pacino and he's getting ready to go and and whack somebody who disrespected his mother? Well, I don't know. I've never, I've never understood how he continues to be employed. And I don't understand how apparently that there is a daily talk show where people actually listen oh, yeah. to him. Apparently there's enough people listen to him that FS1 keeps it on the air. Yeah, and I think that they, I don't know, I think that they do fairly well. Like, as far as daytime TV, like sports cable network TV shows go, I think that Undisputed does fairly well. And I don't get it because he's a clown, but uh, I'm not even, I, I'm watching on mute. I have no idea what he's saying. I'm just watching this man get like veins and like wrinkles in his forehead arguing with Shannon Sharp while he's wearing a gold chain and a black mock t-shirt underneath us. I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I Garrett, I'm sorry, man. I don't even know what you said in your introduction. We need a name for the rivalry. It's At just, this point, yeah. I'm ready to call it skips mock T. Like I'm ready to, like, that's all I can think about. He has totally taken me off of everything we had. We talked about an agenda. We talked about what we wanted to talk about. It's damn near midnight and Skip shows up on my TV wearing a gold chain. I lost my my entire everything I had planned is gone. Yeah, 
that's a big derail. I think, you know, just talking about this game, well, what I ended with was it felt good when this is the type of game where we, you know, we say, oh, we can't have nice things. We always lay an egg on the big oh, stage. Yeah. But we just showed up and we freaking punched them in the mouth over and over yeah, and no, over it felt, again. It felt great. Uh, this is a game. Okay. You asked about like a name for the rivalry. And I feel like you got to do something with the color blue because oh, the blue turf. I had, and we're, you know, trying to be the real Royal. I, so my like suggestion the royal, was, was, I was the battle for the bronzed casserole dish. And actually, like, make yeah. something with like making fun of Utah and Idaho, or it is a competition, and the loser has to annex Cache Valley, like the city of Logan, into their state for the next twelve months until they play again. Like well, the, yeah, lo- the loser that, gets think... stuck with Logan. Yeah, I think you're onto something there, right? I think if we can rope utah state into this and i don't know how i don't know how we do it right i don't know if you annex the 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 whole valley or the city of logan into that state or if it's just the battle to be utah state's rival because utah state hates byu utah state hates boise state byu and utah or excuse me byu and boise state they don't really think about utah state so i think if you lose the game if between BYU and Boise, the loser of that game has to concede that Utah State is their rival for the next 12 months. Ooh, that's that's there's painful. no there's no trophy, but they have to go to their like official social media accounts the day that they play Utah State and they have to say it's rivalry day. I think that's what has to happen. I could get behind the this. loser claims the Aggies as their rival. I can get behind that. And I, I feel bad for Utah State fans. I know there's like seven or eight of them out there that really are passionate about their team. But guys, nobody well, likes right you. Right now, they're not passionate nobody about their you. team. I think all right now they're all very passionate against the idea of Gary Anderson being their head coach. But Oof, this man, is not a Utah so State. Down. We can't get on that tangent. Well, it kind we, of is. We could talk for an hour. This is how that. bad. This is how bad this game was. Like. This was such an, a complete and utter blowout that here we are, the postgame show, talking about Gary Anderson and Skip Bayless's chain. And somehow it feels like an appropriate topic because this game was not close. BYU did whatever they wanted. Like the, the biggest talking point in this game is going to be, did BYU run up the score? And frankly, my question and really my rebuttal to that is they didn't run it did up BYU enough. run up the score enough? Yeah, like yeah. they should have gone for 60. So I wanted 60. I'm glad we got to 50. I wanted 60, but just looking, so I'm looking at the advanced box score from this game. Obviously, the it was like 99% win percentage for BYU. BYU had 10 scoring opportunities to just two for Boise State, which, and then even within that, scored had four and a half points per scoring opportunity and Boise state only had one and a half points per scoring opportunity that they had. So it's like, even like we got, they got within field goal range or whatever, but they still like, we, they weren't scoring even when they got in there. So we were not only scoring, but we were scoring touchdowns and it, every single play BYU averaged uh, just over nine yards a play for, and 
So, and then th- for do. the entire game, uh, the success rate for the entire game, well, I guess they take out garbage time, but success rate BYU is 49%. So success rate is getting 50% of what you need on first down. So getting to second and five and then getting 70% of what you need for a second down on third down. So getting to like third and three or shorter and then converting on third and fourth is what would be considered success. Like they, you know, were successful. They are explosive plays. Uh, so plays that are greater than 12 yards or runs greater than 12 yards and passes greater than 16 yards, a quarter, nearly 23% of the plays that BYU ran were explosive. Like they, you can say what you want to say about having return missionary Cade Finnegan playing at quarterback for the Broncos because, you know, Jack Sears got knocked out and Hank Bachmeyer has COVID, but that doesn't change the fact of how Boise's defense played. And honestly, Finnegan didn't look that bad. He, um, he, like, he didn't look terrible, but he got no help. Their offensive line, you know, t- we've kind of been harsh on Kyrus Tonga this year because it kind of, he's gotten lost a lot and he kind of really only just has a bull rush and he hasn't looked great, but he was just moving people. They were trying to double team him and they were pushing him backwards. We did talk about this on the show on Wednesday of the, like what we expected the matchup between Kyrus Tonga and their center um, and that their center was light. He was inexperienced and it was something very favorable to BYU and is like their offensive line did nothing. It wouldn't have mattered who was in there at quarterback. There would have been pressure. They didn't establish the run. They couldn't get the run going at all. Even Finnegan did actually. Okay. I mean, he finished 15 for 26, 182 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. That's acceptable. Wow. I mean like hundred, 110 of those yards came on like two plays, but that is true. I mean, and then, but really the issue, Andrew Van Buren had 16 carries for 45 yards. That's not going to do it. Like, And that doesn't have right. anything to do with the quarterback, right? Because they still attempted 26. Like, he still threw 26 passes. And so even, well, Sears was 4 for 4 for 41 yards when he left. And then the other kid that they brought in, Andy Peters, was 4 for 8 for 26 yards. So they, like, their quarterback play wasn't horrible. It was just the defense played really well and the offense played incredibly. Like Algier averaged 8.8 yards a carry. Katoa averaged 8.3 yards a carry. Wilson averaged 13 over 13 yards per attempt, finished 21 for 27 for 359. Obviously, Gunnar Romney finished with 133 yards. Dax Mill with 99. And Neil Powell um, and Neil Powell finished with set five catches for 75 yards. And then the Elk, Isaac Rex, five for 45 and two scores. So who is your offensive player of the game? Your non-Zach Wilson since I think after the Louisiana Tech post game, we said, no, can't do Zach Wilson. He's off limits. It's it's the elk. It's the elk. It is Isaac Rex, man. Like what what a performance. Like we've been talking about I Isaac. I wish he would have paid him all year to long. his dad. I wish he would have, you know, <laughs> followed in his father's footsteps just because it was Boise and given the double bird to them after he scored. It would have been funny. Uh, no, Isaac, man, we've been talking about him for a long time. Um, he's just a special player. I actually text Byron during the game and I just said, you know, like, hey, man, like you're absolute like Isaac's absolutely killing it. Talk about how fun it was to watch him. And they're just having a blast over there in the Rex house. Uh, what an incredible 
like really what an incredible it's like an incredible story i guess like that's the best way to put it matt bushman goes down and i mean i think that people will disagree with me and this is in no way matt bushman's slander but i think over time i think that isaac rex has developed into a more well-rounded weapon than what matt bushman was for byu rex is a, a pretty darn good blocker he's a threat in the running game he's just so big that he becomes that red zone target and if there's one area of bushman's game where he struggled it was his blocking and, and really we could take it one step back be like backwards from blocking it was just his overall physicality like he was he was not the most physical receiver in the red zone he was not the most physical blocker uh he struggled a little bit against man coverage uh, because he he struggled to get off that you know press coverage, physicality was his is his weakness. He has elite hands. He has you know he's elite in a lot of things that he does. But that was the one thing that Bushman tended to struggle with, and Isaac Rex does not struggle with that. Like he he really does well. His hands are probably a notch down. He's got great hands. They're probably not Matt Bushman hands. They're really really good. He's physical. He loves the contact. And you can see the difference, right? I remember last year and really the year before, people just clamoring for more red zone targets for Bushman. And they never came. And a lot of that was had to do with the fact that Bushman really wasn't open in the red zone very often. Isaac Rex is the guy that you can design plays for in the red zone because whether he's open or not, he's going to go make a play. And he's like multiple that, inches that's taller my than Matt Bushman. Yeah, and I think... And he is. And we did have uh, Travis Turner reached out to us during the game, and we're talking about this. That you know, it's for the next few years. We're saying we're going to have Isaac Rex, Dallin Holker, Hank Tuipolotu all together. Those are three dang good tight ends, you know. And Hank is only just starting to get reps in the last couple of games because he's been banged up, but he's gone from getting reps in garbage time when all the backups are in to getting more into the regular rotation. And then you add Mason wake in there to come out and really the H back and the, the H and the Y positions, they're looking good, very good for the next three years. Like I feel like I'm looking now at that position group, the same way I did is the offensive line room in 2018, when it's like, these guys are all freshmen and sophomores and they're like, they have issues to work through, but they are dang good. And they're going to be very good when they are upperclassmen. Here's my thing about Dallin Holker. Dallin Holker's a really good player. I loved him at Lehigh. I was thrilled. I think I I think I was one of the first to really, and this isn't a pat my own back, but believe you me, when I think I deserve credit, I will take it. This is not one of those situations. But I do think I was one of the first to jump on the Holker bandwagon. In fact, I remember when he was a junior at Lehigh, Carson Terrell, who went on and, and did some good things at Utah State, picked up i think he had offers from from uh ucla from morgan state he was he was really good and he was a year ahead of holker and people were upset when carson terrell really wasn't recruited by byu and he ended up in logan and i remember saying then like guys like carson terrell's a great player dallin holker's the truth like that's the tight end that you want so i've, I've been a big dallin holker fan for a long time the thing about dallin holker is that i think if we, you know, if he's able to play for another year under Jeff Grimes, he's going to be an H back. He's going to run that Mason Wake role more than he will run that traditional tight end role. That's what he did as a freshman. People tend to forget about it because he was listed as a tight end, and they they tend to think that he was 
you know, Matt Bushman's backup and it was a, you know, a Dennis Pitta, Andrew George situation, but that wasn't the case. He played on the, the, on the field at the same time as Bushman more often than not. And he lined up in that Mason wake role and they have a lot of the same skills. And so I think, I mean, he obviously can flex out into the Y position. He can line up as a traditional tight end, but he's best when he's an H back because he's just such an elite athlete and he doesn't have that six, six size that Isaac Rex has. So what I'm excited about with Rex and Holker is those two will be on the field together. I think a lot, and I don't think it's going to take away from having receivers on the outside. BYU will be able to run tight end sets, two tight end sets, without having to take a receiver off the field necessarily, right? Because they, they frequently use that fullback role. Holker's good enough that he can do that. And then you can motion him out as a, a tight end. You can bring him in and run heavy. And you could do so many different things with those two because of the versatility that the two of them have. And they will play on the field at the same time together very regularly. And that will be exciting to see. It really will be. And just the future is very, very bright. I think since you took Isaac Rex, my offensive player of the game, I don't, I feel like Algier, I've already picked him. You know, Katoa played well. He's kind of, they, I mean, Gunnar Romney played great. I feel like Gunnar Romney has more diving catches where he lands at the two yard line than anybody else in the history of college football. And he should have like 15 yeah, touchdowns. That's just by too now. bad. But I think I'm, for my player of the game, offensive player of the game, I think I'm going to go with Neil Powell just because I kind of bagged on him, not bagged on him, but it's, he's kind of disappeared a little bit. He's been the very quiet number three that has been there all season, but obviously he's not, hasn't been having the games nearly that um, Milne or Romney have had, but he, in the first half of this game, when it looked and it felt really close, especially like through the first quarter when we we're kind of struggling and it was still seven to three, he was the one that was getting open and he was making plays and he kept the offense moving down the field on like when we were moving the ball in the first half. It was because a lot of it was because of him. And, you know, he got his touchdown, which I hope they go back and do some type of petition and try to get that score change so it can be added to Zach's stats instead of being counted as a rushing touchdown. Um, he got his score. He got the two-point conversion. He finished with five catches for 45 yards. It was just like a very solid game. Nothing amazing, but I think this game was good for him, especially you know, knowing that he could have walked away, gone to a different school, everything that he had to deal with, with everybody knowing like how bad he screwed up and like he screwed up big time, but he did his time, paid his dues, made it right, got things in order. And came back and he's having a nice season. He's having for a wide receiver three who is the he is having a good season, a very good season, really, for what you'd expect from a third wide receiver. Um, so I'm gonna go with Neil Powell. What about on the defense? Who stuck out to you? Uh, that's tough. I mean, Kyrus Tonga was great. Um, but really, I pick a linebacker. I, probably Keenan Peely, Peyton Bogar was was right there as well. Isaiah Fusi had a few plays. Um, that's probably my vote is one of those linebackers. And, and so I'll just, you know, we'll say the linebacker core as a whole. Um, they played really well. I, I wanted to go to with a corner because really I think that the corners played well. But it's the, hard when the, for, the fourth quarter happened. The, the, yeah, and Khalil Shaker, you know, he had 10 catches. 
averaged 13.9 yards a catch, a couple scores. Like, I get it. It was all mostly on two plays, but it happened. And so, yeah, I got to go with the linebackers who really just bottled up the uh, the running game. I really liked the scheme. BYU never really brought up blitz. I think we're going to watch this game again, and we're going to see that it was kind of what we talked about, Garrett. It was mostly a three- and four-man rush. Uh, and that's okay, right? Like they still got pressure. They were still able to do what they needed to do. I but what, what, I, that, what I really liked about I think what I really that, liked uh, about them is that they they uh, they showed blitz a lot. Like they were confusing in their pre-snap reads that a quarterback, especially a young quarterback, but whether it was Sears or whoever it was going to be. Like they had to account for linebackers because they did really well of showing six, you know, almost every play. And then they would back off and play in different coverages. Sometimes they were playing in man coverage when they would do that. So I, I really liked that. Um, well, I think it was I just thought playing that was, I thought that was good on the fact of that it was Fittigan's first game since, you know, he was a senior in high school three years ago. And so I think right. it probably if Sears stays in the game, you or it's Bachmeyer's in there, you would see more pressure. But also, I mean, still, I remember in the third quarter, they still posted that we had 10 hurries. So we didn't need to blitz because if you're getting 10 hurries just from a straight rush every time, you don't need to blitz. And the not only that, but it's like you said, they were showing six. That makes a wall where he can't really make his read as soon as the ball, like as soon as things are snapped and things are falling, it's not just clogging up passing lanes, it's clogging up sight lines. And so they made it hard for him to really push the ball downfield until, you know, there were two busted coverages. Obviously you got those two, the touchdowns, but the rest of the time, like he was getting like three yards of play. You know, it's like, you're fine with that, right? Like if you're fine with that, because eventually Someone's going to get dropped and it's whatever is he wasn't able to look downfield because the pocket was collapsing quick without bringing any extra pressure. And we had a ton of guys in front. As soon as the ball was snapped, he was seeing our guys and couldn't get a clear field. So it just made it harder. Yes. It's, I mean, if you're putting him on his butt, every play, bringing a ton of pressure, that makes it difficult for a kid in his first start, but this was a different way of doing it that allowed us to get the same effect and without having to add added risk to whatever we're doing on the back end of the play. Hmm. Yeah. But all in all, in all, I thought the scheme was good. We, we Garrett, I said, we shouldn't talk about this, but Jay catch went public with it. It looks like it has been confirmed. So we could talk about it a little bit. We talked about it on our message board over on Cougar sports insider. We've known about it all day. Uh, BYU did what they did down of several coaches like i think there were three coaches who were not able to travel so they were at home in provo because of covid i don't know if they have covid if they were exposed to covid i don't know but byu's coaching staff was shorthanded and so i think that's impressive especially if what we've heard is it was a couple of defensive coaches and uh, two defensive heard two offensive. Coach, right. And then we heard the coach uh, Tuyaki, he was quarantined throughout the week. He ended up, <clears throat> he ended up being there. He ended up uh, coaching in this game, but it's fair to maybe assume that he, he wasn't as involved in the practice. And so for BYU to come out and execute the game plan that they did 
down potentially two or three coaches throughout most of the week. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, look, there were some, you know, there was the, the end of the first half, some bad clock management. Like there was a couple of little foobars throughout the game. But for BYU to look as poised as they did, to execute as well as they did, and to put up 51 in Boise while down a few coaches, that's a huge deal. Like I understand that, um, you know, Boise was down George Halani. They were down Hank Bachmeyer. They were down Jack Sears. I get it. But people, he was down coaches for crying out loud. Like that's a big deal. Plus, so, I mean, two with the Bachmeyer, I mean, we had Baylor Romney and Sione Finau last year at home. Didn't stop us. Right. Like it's, I think right. you can't really make those kind of excuses. You know, you guys have to play. And even if it, even if Bachmeyer Sears was in, with the way the offense was playing, with their defense was giving up almost 10 yards of play, it doesn't, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't have been 51 to 17, still may have been 42 to 21 kind of game, like something, you know, 42 to 28, something like that. Um, but it still, this game would have never been in doubt either way. It wouldn't have mattered if they had Alani or if they had Bachmeyer or Sears in there. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, just domination by BYU. Absolute domination. Uh, biggest concerns going forward, Lopini Katoa. That injury did not look good. Uh, he was not putting a whole lot of pressure on his knee, and anytime you see something like that, that's the fear. On the plus side, right, Like maybe it's not season-ending. Maybe it is a, 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 you know, a, a sprain or something like that. BYU only like has it, two games on the schedule. It looks like it would be like an ankle sprain. Um, so... Siani Finau, you're up. Yeah, and so, right. So, Siani Finau is there. Tyler Algier is still Tyler Algier. He's still healthy. Uh, so, BYU has plenty of ability at the running back spot, even without Lopini Katoa. But, obviously, you want to have Katoa there. Like, he brings a different element to really what BYU wants to do offensively. So, you want him healthy as much as you can possibly have him healthy. So, best wishes to him. But outside of that, man, like there really isn't any concern. <laughs> this was just an annihilation of Boise State, who's really just been a thorn in the side. We need to talk about um, the about running State? up the score. Oh, okay. I was well, going to say, bring, also yeah. bring up that San Jose State. Imagine what a wild year 2020 is that three weeks into the Mountain West season, the only undefeated teams are Nevada and San Jose State are three and because San Jose State knocked off San Diego State 28-17. So that one that does hurt us a bit on the back end that San Diego State blew that one. Um, but if you didn't weren't able to catch that during the game, that happened. I mean, it's still people are still going to respect the brand of San Diego State, though I think we can after looking at what we've seen now through three weeks from Utah State what Boise did to Utah State, what San Diego State did to Utah State. We kind of thought things in Utah State is just really bad. And I don't think it, we learned nothing. They're the worst, them. man. I think they might go 0-7 or 0-8. Yeah, like the only chance, I think, of a win is their game against New Mexico. And I don't know about that. But listen, I have currently a Utah fan who will remain nameless. In my mentions, I retweeted somebody 
Eric McLean, former Clemson captain. Um, he was a college. Now he's a college football analyst on the ACC network for, you know, on ESPN who said, Hey, BYU, let them in. I retweeted it. And now I have a Utah fan in my mentions who is trying to, he's going through and citing the records of all of BYU's opponents. Like, there's no question that BYU has not played an exceptional schedule, but they've played a schedule, and that is more than anything that Utah can say. Well, Utah's not right. Gonna, like, if, if they, according to their press announcement today, it seemed like they had 30 plus cases, players, scholarship players that were out. They're not playing UCLA next week either. If that's how many they have, that sucks. If I mean, they got, if they, have, I don't, I don't want that. Like, like I feel bad for those guys. I don't want that to happen, but well, I feel it is for, happening. I feel bad for I want, the players. I so players, love. coaches. I feel bad for the te- the people who cover the team. I don't feel bad at all for the fans, and that's what yes. I'm saying here. Is that it, yeah, like it's happening. So if you're a fan of that team, don't give me records of BYU's. BYU has been able to play eight games. You haven't played any. Like, come on, get on board with the Blutes. Because that's really the only football that you've got this year is the Blutes. That's that's where I'm at. Dude. So, man, that's brutal. But the other thing we need to talk about is running up the score. And there was – I did take a peek over at the Boise 24-7 board during the game just to see kind of what the meltdown was. There, It's funny how every school thinks that their coach is – I mean, except for – Clemson and Bama thinks like their coach is washed up there as it has been and needs to move on or whatever, all these problems. And I mean, there's a lot of Boise fans who want Brian Harson gone and think he's not a good coach, which is insane to me. There are a lot of Alabama fans last year after, was it last year that they didn't make the playoff? Yeah. yeah. Last year there were Bama fans calling for Saban's head. That one is hard because a lot of people do that as a joke to make fun of other fans that do that. And so you have to sift through to find the actual like real Alabama fans. Like you'll see some and then you open it up and it's like, Oh, they're a Tennessee fan or whatever. Um, But they, yeah. So there are people talking like, Oh, Satake is, and let me pull up like, cause I just text you the picture. BYU came ready to play and BSU did not. BYU has good players and BSU has good players. But the difference is BYU has a coach that prepares their team to play no matter what. BSU, not so much. Which is funny because that's the same complaint that BYU fans have had with Kalani Satake is, oh, we don't get up. We only get up for some games, not for others. Another person said, I know I'll get roasted for this, but you may just well get used to disappointment with Harson at the helm. It's inevitable. We don't play with an edge anymore. We haven't since he took over, getting worse every year. I used to mock Satake, but I would t- personally take him over Harson. Though there was one fan who brought up running up the score, and he said, honestly, BYU should run up the score here. It's not personal. That's the way the system is designed, and it's that's what you have to do. And I would want us to do the same thing if there was the shoe was on the other foot. And it kind of and sucks. they have for ten years. That's what Boise State has like built their brand on. It's beaten the hell out of crappy teams by forty five points. For them to like claim that some sort of superiority and like morality that they are just this pinnacle team that would never have the audacity to run up the score is complete and utter garbage. Like, it was funny because it was right before uh, one of, I guess, a Boise State reporter said something about Kalani Satake's writing checks that he's going to have to cash later. 
first off, nobody writes checks anymore. Like that's a stupid outdated reference. So it's time to move on from that. But that is the entire Boise state brand is beating bad teams by 50 points. And that's fine. Like, that's what it is. That was the BYU brand through the eighties and the nineties as well. Like I, I get it. I wholeheartedly understand that that's what you have to do. But right before that tweet came out and kind of, you know, went wild in BYU Twitter, I tweeted something that just said, Hey, I remember when Boise was throwing the ball around in the fourth quarter in the middle of a blizzard of a 50 to 12 game. I remember where Boise was running like screen passes and like kind of funny plays to Jay Ajayi in 2014 when they were up 55 to 23 in the fourth quarter. I remember all of those things. I didn't care if BYU ran it up. Like they got one shot this year to play against a name brand and a ranked opponent. They have to do it for style points. But even if it, even if the style points were totally off the table and BYU was sitting at like four and four, this is a Boise State team that has constantly tried to say that they're the better program out West, that they are better than what BYU was forever. They have more program history, which, I mean, it's things that BYU fans would think are preposterous. They, But really, like Boise has kind of been like an existential threat to BYU, right? Like if BYU is not going to be in a P5 conference, they're going to constantly be compared to Boise. Right. And for the better part of the last decade, Boise's been on the right half of that uh, of that conversation. They have dominated BYU. And so for BYU, they finally get an opportunity to flex their muscles and be like, hey, no, we've been doing this for five decades. You guys, it's cute what you've done in the last 15 years. But here we are. This is who we are. We're here to remind you of what BYU football is. Like, yeah. I, I didn't care at all. No, I wish we would have scored 60. I mean, but going back to, so looking, I just pulled up their 2010 schedule, you know, right when they started the season, preseason ranked number three, and you know, Virginia Tech, they won 33-30, but then they had games 51-6, to 59-0, to 57-14, 48-0, 49-20, 42-7, 52-14, 51-0, 50-14. Don't talk to me about Boise State. That is, that's what you do. And it's not like, okay, I mean, it's not like they were running trick plays, right? Like it was, oh, you're mad that we handed the ball straight up the middle. Like, what do you want us to do? Start taking a knee and just punt the ball back to you after three plays? Like they handed the ball straight up the middle and got 15 yards. That's your defense's fault. You know, frankly, and if you keep the way that I see it, and you attempt two onside kicks, you're still trying to play. And the, that reporter ended up deleting their tweet because it's you're still like you haven't thrown in the towel. So if you're still trying to get the ball back and push down the field and score, then we're going to do the exact same thing. Like both teams go into cruise, like cruise mode at the same time, or you keep the pedal to the metal and run it down their throat until they quit. Look, Chris Peterson and Brian Harson have been writing checks that needed to be cashed for a long time and BYU just collected all of them and they cashed those checks tonight. So I watched the, a little bit of the NC state Miami game. And after the NC state field goal kicker, he, he kicked a field goal. He turned to the Miami sideline tonight, like it true, like WWE fashion. And he gave the suck it sign to the, to the whole sideline of Miami. I loved it. It's a it's a premier gift, one of the best gifts that's going to be on the internet for this college football season. I absolutely loved it. 
those are my feelings to all the Boise State fans who are up in arms that BYU allegedly ran up the score. If it were up to me, they would have ran up the score by more. Like they would have, they would have come out throwing even in that last drive. Sure. Let Baylor Romney have a drive, but let Baylor Romney throw the ball down the field. Like I, I was really, really hoping that they would have done that because I was annoyed. I'm mostly annoyed at Boise state fans. I mean, I've never really been too annoyed by Boise state fans before, you know, cause I've never really interacted with them too much, but we have had, you know, friends of ours that live in Idaho and interact with them more talk about kind of how annoying they are. But I think this year is kind of one that really, really did solidify it to me as a rivalry. Not only what you were saying about the existential threat, you know, them trying to be the new BYU on the block, but like the interactions with their fans, like I don't think I've ever had a good interaction with a, like someone who is a diehard Boise state fan. No. No, of course not. Cole Murdoch uh, is a good friend of ours, good friend of the of the show, of Cougar Sports Insider. He's an Idaho guy, lives in Idaho, has forever. And he has just such a an inspiring, passionate hatred for Boise State. So this one was for Cole. Cole, you can go to church. You can go to the store. You can go to work. You can go wherever you want. And wear your why proud, like with more pride than you ever have. And the only thing that you should regret is that they didn't do it bigger, that the score wasn't 61 to 17. It's the only thing you should regret. And if anybody wants to say, hey, why did BYU run up the score? Just give them the finger. Like, don't even acknowledge them with a response. Give them the finger and move on. Hey, it's where man. I'm at. You know, it's what is what is BYU going to do the rest of the year though? Like they have two games for the leg for the next six weeks, and one of those games isn't really a game. It's North Alabama. It's a scrimmage. Yeah, yeah. Um, dude, I don't know. They are something. It's I don't know. They are. There, we're gonna see. We're gonna clear the benches against North Alabama. We're gonna see lots of guys get extra reps. I don't even know. Zach Wilson may not even play that game, or he'll play the first half of that game, or whatever. And it will be good. I hopefully we get to see a lot of Baylor Romney, and I kind of I want to see some Jacob Conover in that game. But we're gonna see a lot of depth guys. It'll be fun. It'll be stress free, on cruise control, and then we have another break until. I mean, hopefully we, we may get another game added, uh, but I, you know, we see San Diego State, which may not be as what we thought it was going to be, but, you know, then it's, that's the last, you know, chance to make a statement. And so it's, we need people in front of us to lose. And I think we made the statement that we will have some staying power in the polls um, for the next few weeks. Yeah, I agree. And I hope so. And I, I hope they get one more game on the schedule. Uh, I just don't know what we're going to talk about for the next six weeks. I mean, I do. Like you and I, we will never run out of things to say. No, we made it through the COVID times, so we'll be good. Yeah, we did. Like, I've had people that have reached out been like, man, I hope you guys keep this show going after the season. And we won't obviously be doing post-game shows. But our weekly show, it originated in the deadest of dead sports times in maybe the history of the world. 
There was nothing going on. And we, not only did we survive, we thrived. And I think that's what uh, what the future holds for us. Yeah. we. So over the course of I the mean, next few weeks. We've positioned ourselves to make off-topic rants to be part of our brand. And that has been very intentional. So that way, you know, that April comes along and basketball is over. Football recruiting is pretty much done the middle peak of the off season no like the only thing to talk about is college baseball and we're struggling for content we can lean back onto the barbecue discussions and we try to fold those in and make them part of things to give ourselves the flexibility to keep you entertained and you know we were talking to some friends tonight as we were watching the game and we we're talking about the show and like my friends, they were like, Oh, do you like just talk about BYU sports? And my wife was like, Oh, they talk about other stuff. Like, honestly, a more a better description name for their podcast, they should just call it Two Guys Talking. And that should be their show where they just like, There is yeah. no set agenda, there is no general theme. It literally is just two guys talking about whatever they want to talk about. And that's kind of what we're doing here with the general theme of BYU sports, which is if you and I just had a conversation in general. It would end up, yeah. I think back that's up talking about barbecue and BYU sports anyway. So it really is just we're two two guys talking, and we will be two guys talking for the foreseeable future. That's what we are. So have no fear, folks. This will be something that may that we maintain. It's getting late. It's twelve fifteen. I could feel myself starting to ramble about. I don't really know if my like the beginning of my sentence. I don't know if by the time I'm reaching the end of my sentence, I'm talking about the same thing anymore. You're back my in the kid, recliner. I can see that you're, oh, you're dude, in the recliner. I'm tired, man. I don't think you're going to make it up to the bedroom tonight. This It's going to be a wake up to game day on the chair kind of night. Yeah, it, it's it's a tough one. And I really should write something about this game to put up on the site tonight. So I'm, I'm kind of thinking through that. My son, he's two. He has third degree burns. I've been at the uh, the burn unit at the hospital today. Uh, he was helping my wife stir some soup that was on the stove. And the soup was done. Something was going on with my other children. And so uh, my wife had to run, you know, down to, to with the other with the other kids. And she took the chair away from my two year old, you know, moved him away from the stove and pushed the soup to the back burner. It was on the front burner. Well, while she was gone, my, my two-year-old still wanted to stir, so he pushed the chair back, climbed up on top of it, and he now the soup was further away than he remembered. So he leaned up to go get the soup, and he put his little arm right on the hot oh. burner that we had just taken the soup off. So he's got... Uh, he's got third degree burns from his wrist up to his elbow. Like they're pretty gnarly and especially in the lower half of his arm, like right up by his wrist. Uh, it's pretty bad. So it's been a long day. Like he, this happened yesterday, two days ago. I don't remember. He can't sleep. Like every time he rolls over, he rolls onto it. It hurts. So I'm just tired. I'm really, really tired. And I know that I'm rambling. I am laying back in the recliner. Uh, TMZ sports is playing in the background and I don't understand how that's still a thing. How is TMZ still in business? Dude, I don't know. It's, I don't get it. 
it doesn't make sense. They, I forgot that they were still around and still a thing. Um, yeah, I don't get it. I don't but, get it at all. Dude, I don't get paparazzi. So this is how we know I'm rambling. So like Garrett, it's up to you to wrap this up in some sort of a coherent way. Cause clearly you can't count on me. Well, I think it, I mean, like you said, it's, we kind of got off tangent. Part of it is the deliriousness of recording at almost 1230 in the morning, but really it's just, it felt good to beat the living crap out of Boise state on their field. And the only thing that would have made this game better is if there were 30,000, well, well, the only time there's ever 30,000 people there is when BYU comes to town because I, which I will never understand because they have a tiny stadium. There's nothing else to do in Boise and you have a dang good football program. Go buy some tickets and support them. Like, even if you don't care about the team, just go to the game. Right. But they, the only thing that would have been better is if there would have been 25,000 people there to just absolutely shut them up and watch them leave the stands early. I think the players' parents probably left early even. Whoa, 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 whoa. We've got Garrett, you I know that you hang out on Cougar Board every once in a while. I need you to look up Bleeds Blue. That's the username. We've got this is an emergency, I think. We have an award for the worst take ever. And I think that I, I need you to verify if Bleeds Blue is an actual BYU fan or if this is some like fake account or something. Before I go off about what's happening, uh, can you please verify that information for okay. me? Okay, I don't know. Let me figure out how to log in and find this. Don't go there. If this is a BYU fan, if this is a BYU fan, then I am going to have to. We're gonna have to create something. I think I will make a trophy. Like I, I really think I want to order a trophy that we can ship out to the worst fan of the fan base. Oh gosh, that's great. And um, I'm going to take it even beyond the worst take. I'm saying worst fan. And if you listen to the show bleeds blue, I mean every word of this. So I did, I find it. I saw that I saw the same thing that someone tweeted out a screenshot of it. So bleeds blue said Wilson is being exposed for the mediocre quarterback. He is Consider this. He's taking way too long on his reads with decent competition. The easy long balls are not there and he is flummoxed. He's taking long sacks instead of throwing the ball away. He is showing zero leadership with clock management. I don't know how leadership and clock management are related. Um, coaches should be doing that. Sure. But an excellent quarterback knows and sees what's going on. Okay. But there's 14 seconds left in the game. The special teams coach didn't have their guys ready to like the field goal to run out. So they said, okay, just run it, whatever. I'm only moderately impressed with this play in the first half. He has shown that he's not only He's not Heisman quality, but he's an only middle of the field quarterback when facing decent competition. Um, so the oh, later, I don't know what to say. Later, he followed it up and said, "I'm not embarrassed." I uh, or someone was like, "This should be embarrassing. This is embarrassing." Um, he said, I have no regrets. Happy with the second half, but stand by my comments in the first. I'm not embarrassed. I'm happy he turned around. He looked horribly mediocre. I still say he's no Heisman, but I love him and I'm happy he's doing well. I'm sorry I've offended you with such comments, but yeah, I still stand by them. I mean, this is this is the worst take I have ever seen. It says that. Is he, this the worst take I've ever seen? This is the worst take I think I have ever seen. Yeah, like, because it's not. And it's funny too when you with Zach Wilson because it's anytime someone says anything about him, 
it's you can guarantee on some Utah State or Utah fans being in their mentions saying how he hasn't played anybody or, you know, Jake Bentley and Cam Rising are way better who whatever and it's but it's not BYU fans that are driving the hype train right like it is like you go look at national people right we talked about Mike Renner from PFF on the Wednesday show like obviously you look at Cam Malore, Richard Johnson who used to be with uh, Vox and is now with Split Zone Duo uh, was there like Stephen Godfrey's talking about like every major national college football writer in the country is salivating over how Zach Wilson is playing and you go search Zach Wilson's name during any game. And literally every single person, all 32 NFL teams, I want him on my team. Like, please, we got to find a way to get him in the draft. Everybody wants Zach. Wilson. But no, no bleeds blue. He sees something else when bleeds blue. He sees something that nobody else sees when, when bleeds blue watches the game, he sees zero leadership from Zach because of poor clock management bleeds blue. You gotta, you gotta deactivate accounts. You've got to get off the internet. Like these are the kinds of takes that you should really just like tell your dog, like somebody who's not going to understand and who will look at you with admiration because at least you're talking to them because people who are going to understand the words that are coming out of your mouth bleeds blue. They're going to look at you and they're going to think so little of you. I think right now, you could tell my children who know nothing about who Zach Wilson is. If you tried to pass this off as a passable take bleeds blue, my children would look at you and say, you clearly have no idea what's going on. Like this makes me question bleeds blue in life. Like does bleeds blue, does he, does he, like, does he eat the right food? Does he make the wrong decisions? Like, does he actually love his wife? or his family like does anything in his life add up because if this is the take that you get after watching what zach wilson has done this year i now question every decision you've ever made it because really... it shouldn't like this is the most obvious thing this is like waking up and saying oh yeah i have to breathe oxygen in order to survive it's so obvious and yet bleeds blue is so just categorically wrong like totally not even in the same ballpark i wonder if he knows his own name i'm assuming it's a man i maybe you know feminism is what it is so maybe it's not i don't know but bleeds blue this is the worst take i have ever seen ever any byu take this is it this is the one this is like the equivalent of being like yeah lavelle didn't play anybody like it really wasn't that good well, Lavelle, you know, when Lavelle was coaching, there were a lot of instances where BYU let the clock run out. Like Lavelle had poor leadership because there were mistakes that were made. Like, come on, bleeds blue. Like, this is this is absolutely horrific. I I am I am offended. I'm more awake now after reading this from Bleeds Blue than I was when we started this show. This has got my my blood boiling because this is so just stupid wrong and it isn't even about zach and getting the take wrong about zach like that's not what has me upset but the fact that this person doubled down on it after being just so obviously wrong they doubled down on it like that that tells me i don't know like you can't trust them you can't trust them in anything that they do because 
even if they make just a terribly wrong decision, they're just going to continue to let it be wrong. And they're yeah. going to continue to try to tell you that you're wrong. I just, I can't, I can't do it. Bleeds blue. It's 1230 in the morning. You're the worst. If you listen to the show, please stop. We expect higher, higher quality listeners. You know, we, we try our best to bring the best stats, the best takes, the best analysis that we can possibly bring. And we expect our listeners to bring the best that they can bring. And if this is the best that you can bring, Bleeds Blue, then you need to find a different show. This is not the show for you. Amen. But just to go, I just searched Zach Wilson's name on Twitter to see what many people are saying. Um, we got... NBA veteran Kendrick Perkins saying BYU football is must-see TV. Carry on. Zach Wilson is elite. Ralph Russo saying, I haven't watched much of Trey, enough of Trey Lance to know that he's to compare him to Zach Wilson, but I've watched enough of everybody else to know that Wilson is solidly QB three in this class. We've got Benjamin Albright, who's an NFL, you know, big NFL draft coverage guy. Zach Wilson is significantly a better prospect than Johnny Manziel was. Um, we have senior draft analyst for the draft network, Jordan was it, Reed. Was the that criticism... a question? Has there uh, ever been I, a question of is Zach Will like is that some sort of barometer that I'm unaware of? Of like, well, he's past the Manzel line, folks. Now we can take him seriously. I think not doing cocaine gets you past that line. But he says yeah, the criticism strange. about playing a soft schedule is fair, but Zach Wilson's ability to throw the ball and the highlight throws he's put on tape this year are undeniable. He has high level arm talent. Um, Marcus Mosher, who is the managing editor for the he's the managing editor for um locked on cowboys and, he's, and works for it with a sports book zach wilson is a sports round pick trevor sikama jackson fans san francisco fans indiana fans washington fans carolina fans minnesota fans denver fans chicago fans new england fans all fighting over zach wilson and 49ers twitter all wants zach wilson on their team um it's literally it is Person, national writer, Gilbrandt. Welcome to the first round conversation. Okay, Gilbrandt has obviously not been paying attention, but he's like 85 years old. Gilbrandt. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, well, we'll give him a pass. Like games are late, and if he's 85, I get it. Yes. So, but there are, you know, it's not BYU fans. It also, is... the the week schedule. Gosh, damn it! Like now, I'm I'm ranting a little bit. The week schedule is not a valid argument. Like the week schedule. Did that prohibit Carson Wentz from getting drafted high? Did that prohibit Josh Allen from getting drafted high? Like, come on. Like, no, that is not like quarterbacks are not receivers, right? right. Like it's not a quarterback who's going one-on-one -on -one against a, a D three corner every game. Like that's not how, or a wide receiver going up against a D three corner and he smokes him and he's always open. That's not what this is. Like quarterbacks are evaluated based on their, their fundamentals, their arm strength and their accuracy. And, that is that translates like that's why there are quarterbacks like Ben Roethlisberger who played at Miami of Ohio that went on to start as a rookie and end up winning Super Bowls like that's what happens like this the, the, I, I'm so tired of the the schedule strength argument if you want to talk about strength of schedule as it relates to uh, BYU's postseason you know uh, like how 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 fit they are how qualified they are to be in the like, college football playoff fine that's a valid argument but if you want to talk about the strength of schedule 
and use that as some way to diminish what Zach Wilson has done, then you are, are as, as as ignorant as bleeds blue. Like that's really what it is. Amen. And I think on that, we can wrap this up. It is now officially 1230. Jeff, we will be back on Wednesday for another episode. We will get very off topic and we're going to put together a good agenda. If you have mailbag questions, please send them in. We're going to have lots of things because we are heading into a bye week, which is sad that we don't get to watch BYU, but enjoyable that we have a stress-free weekend where we just get to watch and hope and pray that everyone in front of us loses, except for Clemson, Ohio State, and Bama because we need them to win. Let's give him hell this week, Jeff. Give him hell.